Shane Brummett here with Allie Alvarigo, SchoolOwnerTalk.com. Good morning, Allie. Nice to be with you. Good morning. Good to be with you too, Dwayne. I know it's crazy. I think we're on episode 67, if, I, if I'm I correct. I think so. Crazy. Like that. that, that's just amazing at how fast, how fast things have gone. It almost seems like we started this yesterday, but we're, we're 67 weeks in, over a year plus of, uh, of phone calls that we've done. How cool is that? It is, and uh, it's you know the, the nice thing is it's a lot of good uh, free material for the martial arts industry, you know, which is that's that's what we want to do is we want to be able to help out school owners. Um, I know that uh, there's a plethora of information out there, but the problem is weighing through the information and you know making sure that it's viable for your school because everybody's everybody's selling stuff, you know, and uh, not to say that some of the stuff doesn't work, but um, anytime that you can get in, 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 the, the the free stuff that works that's even better <laughs> without a doubt you know it's interesting i um i i kind of coach I, I mean i don't say i coach because i'm not a, not a, a personal psychologist or but i have a, a woman that talks to me quite often through the internet you know facebook messaging and she's struggling in her life and um and i try to guide her in many ways, and, and, and this is relevant, so <laughs> once I wrap it up, you'll say, oh, that's how he, he went into that, but, um, and, and uh, you know, quite often I'll tell her, hey, you know, she's like, oh, my life is this, this, and this, and I'll say, well, why don't you do this, this, and this, and she'll go, well, I can't because of this, this, and this, and then I'll say, well, that's okay, we'll do, you know, X, Y, and Z, and she'll say, well, I can't because, and then it just, it's like a battle of, of going back and forth where there's always an excuse as to why she can't. And I feel bad for her because probably this is the way she was raised or brought up or somehow she adapted that mindset. And now this is kind of relevant for school owners as well. You know, we talk about, um, you know, things on our talks or, um, you know, they hear things. You know, there's so much good information, if, but, but too much is, is too much. And um, not listening and doing something uh, from start to finish could be a major problem as well because then there's going to be a lot of failures along the way because they don't have a complete system. Um, and, you know, I, I think a good thing for us to chat about would be like infrastructure, right? Like why don't we talk about, you know, all the things that it takes to run a school from, you know, I mean, and we won't even get through all those things because like on our manifesto on page 12 when the school owners see so much that they, you know, what they actually have to do and what they're doing. You know, it's crazy, right? So uh, let, let's, let, what do you think? Want to chat about that a little? Yeah, I, I think that's a very important topic. I, I, I like that. Yeah, it's funny because when we all got into the, the business, per se, uh, we didn't realize, I, I, I would say the majority of us didn't realize uh, all the infrastructure that needed to be in place in order to grow our business and it to be uh, successful. You didn't need right. much infrastructure when you had you know, 20, 30, even maybe 50 students. But to break that 50 student mark, you needed to have a certain amount of infrastructure to grow to that next level to hit the 100 mark. And then, therefore, the same thing occurs from 100 to 150 and 150 to 200. And, and without that infrastructure, it's impossible to, yeah, and you can use all the great marketing tactics that are out there on the Internet and buy the latest Facebook uh, ad uh, course or whatever it, to fill your school. And that's well, and, and that's great. That's that's nice to have, uh, you know, 50 new students in two months or in a month or what have you. But if yeah. you don't have the infrastructure to be able to uh, service those students, then, you know, the 
the latter is going to be worse than the former, meaning that you're going to not be able to service them to the best of your ability. You're going to have some unhappy individuals, and then they're going to go out, and you, you and I both know this because we all do this as human beings. We go out and we talk about the things that bother us more so than the things that, we, that actually make us happy. Um, and, and you go and you tell seven, uh, ten, you know, seven to ten people the bad experience that you had, but you only tell one or three people the good experience that you've had. And so, therefore, when I say that the latter is worse than the former, it would have been better, probably been better, had you not got those 50 students that right. quickly and because your infrastructure wasn't able to hold it. And I know that's contrary to a lot of beliefs in our industry, uh, you know, um, even I would say probably even some coaches would say, well, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll just grow into that. And some people do. I'm not going to, you know, say that that's not true. But I would say the majority of school owners do not go into that. Um, right. Because they, they, get, uh, they get stunned, <laughs> for lack of a better term. They get stunned and get paralyzed and not know what to do. And they weren't just, they themselves weren't ready, so therefore their business wasn't ready for that. And I know that's maybe kind of laying the groundwork for infrastructure, and we can kind of, you know, if you have anything to add, and then I guess we can go into some well, of the infrastructure I think, things. I think that what you said was super important, and I'd like to just kind of refine it or go deeper on it, because I think that for people to truly understand, they have to understand it at a deeper level. So as a business owner, um, you know, you're right. We all got in the martial art business. It was simple. You know, you you advertised. You had a, four walls and a roof and phone and whatever. And and then the goal was to get students in the door. And then as your roster builds, you start thinking, wow, I finally, you know, it's a very simple equation. You know, and people still in the martial art industry think this way, where it's like, okay, market brings students in. And, and, you know, teach the students and repeat the process and your school, your business will grow, right? But then there are a lot of other factors that we don't realize that are in there, like retention, which is probably the biggest and the most difficult of all issues within our industry, school, is keeping people training. You know, getting them to join is, is not nearly as hard as keeping them training on a, for a long-term basis. Industry standard um, and I've talked to guys like Rob Colasante and John Graydon and a whole bunch of really talented uh, martial art coaches, Toby Milroy and, uh, you know, um, Stephen Oliver. You know, retention about in our industry is about 18 to 24 months is like the lifetime of a student on average. All of us have our success stories. I have a large amount of black belts training in my school, um, probably about 50 or so um, that have been with me between 7 and 15 years. Um, but that's not the majority, right? You know, you know, 40 or 50 black belts compared to the amount of students that I have and the amount of students that have quit and left. So retention is the big, big problem. And um, and now, you know, so as a school owner, it's easy in the beginning. Market, get new students. Now it's market, get new students, teach great classes, retention, you know, and, and then pay the bills and manage and hire employees. And it just gets to be overwhelming at times because people just wanted to teach martial arts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when, you know, the other the other side of that is, is, well, I'll I'll teach the classes and I'll let somebody else run the business. And I know that's not what we're talking about, but I just, you know, that is um, so wrong unless you have a relationship like the Kovars do. You know, yeah. you have, um, you know, the, the Kovar brothers have the perfect, the perfect storm with regards to how they have divvied up their business. And, you know, one is basically in charge of, 
running the numbers of the business and the other one, and I'm, I'm, I'm making a general statement here. There's probably, there's a lot more specifics, but one is running the numbers. The other one is are running the students. Um, and you don't usually get partnerships like that where, uh, you know, since they're family, I think it works better, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that's not true, but anyways, um, that's a generalized statement. So, Let's kind of maybe move into um, some of the infrastructure things that are the cores for the business. And and um, I don't know if you want to start or if you want me to start, but I know one thing that I was going to say is that having a defined um, pathway from white to black belt at the very least, and then first degree, second degree, third degree, a defined pathway, meaning that you know, here's how many months it's going to take to get your first belt and your second belt and your third belt and then up to first degree. And then here is the process. And I think the reason that is number one important for what you said with regards to new students and retention, the new students need to know how long it's going to take for them to get their first belt. But once they get their first belt, then they're going to want to know how long it's going to take to get their second. And eventually they're going to want to know how long it's going to take to get to black belt. Once the, and so it's important for the uh, the sales side of it to get them to buy in to, for lack of a better term, to um, you know become a student at your school. But then to stay, they need to have uh, that pathway to get there. And I I, I know that I've talked to uh, school owners. I'm sure since you've been coaching a lot longer than I have been that you've come across school owners that really didn't have a defined path to black belt, meaning that they didn't know when the black belt test was going to be. It was just, well, when I feel they're ready, uh, I I will do that. And that worked at one time, but I don't know that it works in the society that we live in today. Yeah, you know, and, and, you know, I I learned the hard way, but at the same time, uh, there's a a good and a bad part to that, hey, when you're ready, you'll get your belt. Um, but, uh, you know, the good part being that, you know, it teaches students patience, it takes the essence off the belt, it takes the focus off the next, you know, where am I going to be at this moment in time with these, these type of Americanized goals where everything is all about sequential steps, you know, similar to the public school system, you know, you know, you know learn the, the topic, do the homework, take the test, pass the grade, move on um, kind of mentality when we're skimming over actually being excellent at anything. You know, a lot of people get out of college and then they they realize that half the stuff they learn didn't help prepare them for the real world in any way, shape, or form. So it's like, you know, you could probably take the whole high school college degree thing if it was taught by a private business guy like maybe Tony Robbins and condense it down into four years. Um, You know, so, and and then they would be specifically ready to do certain things, you know, careers, you know, uh, business, uh, public speaking, whatever the case may be. But um, I I think it's important for us to realize that, you know, we we have to set goals for our students, but we can't make that the end-all, be-all. And I do have that in my school. It's to the point that's drilled down so far that it says, like, for example, um, you know, how many classes within a certain period of time within, uh, you know, a certain amount of uh, ability that they have to have to, and then, then they could be eligible for the next belt. Eligible. I mean, of course, I have to approve them before they go up for testing. But people hold us to that. Well, my kid's been here. He did his 12 classes. He did, he did his two months. 
um, why doesn't he have his blue belt? You know, I want to say quite often, well, because he's not really that good yet, you know, or he's not the greatest martial artist in the world or whatever. You know what I mean? So I think that this. Yeah, and I like your, um, I like the rules that you have or the structure that you have um, with regards to that. And, and I, don't, I don't know if you are willing to uh, talk about it, but if you want to quickly, I know you have three criteria that they have to meet. Uh, in right. order to be eligible to test. Can you quickly say those? Yeah, well, the three criteria, first, first and most simple, is they have to have X amount of classes. So each belt level is different um, depending on the longevity of the belt. So, for instance, in my school, we have eight belts. You know, a beginner level, then they earn their white belt, then we have yellow, green, blue, purple, brown, and then, of course, black belt. Um, so it's seven before black, and then each belt has its own time period. So white to yellow, it goes, you know, white, then you get a yellow stripe, and then you go to yellow belt. And then yellow has the same one stripe, and green has one stripe, blue has one stripe, purple has two stripes, brown has three, and then you go to black belt. In my school, from beginner to black belt, on at minimum, for the perfect, most outstanding student who never missed a class in his life could do it in four and a half to five years. Um, dedicated. I mean, five, six days a week, you know, doing everything that you could possibly do. Um, and then so it's, it's classes in, meaning that they have to have 12 classes before they could be eligible for their next belt. Then the next is time period. So you might get those people that are gung-ho, they're in an unlimited program. There's no way they're going to make it through the belt system quicker than someone else. Um, well, they will if they're outstanding because everyone else isn't and it takes them longer. But if they, if they did everything, it would be classes in and then time period. So in other words, they could get all their classes. They could go, I have all my 12 classes in. Okay, well, after two months of simmering in the technique and practicing it and us reviewing the technique, then we'll let you know whether you're eligible. So that's the third criteria is making sure that they could do the technique and do it properly with the right ability and quality. Yeah, and that's and, and, and that's part of the infrastructure that I like. You know, we have the same thing. We've modeled it, uh, maybe done a couple of things differently. But uh, one is time period. They have to have a certain amount of time within the uh, – or a certain amount of classes within within the three-month time span uh, that we do our testings in. And then – so there's the amount of classes. There's the uh, – they have to do – um, all the, the all that in that three month time period, and then lastly, is like you said, they have to know their material. We actually have different color stripes that they earn to show that they've um, learned that material and they know it, and they're eligible to go to the graduation and test. And so, right. like for instance, you know, uh, red stripe is for hand techniques, blue is for foot, yellow is for whatever, and orange is for forms or whatever. You know, so uh, there's different stripes that they have to earn in that time period, you know, inside of those classes. So it's kind of, uh, I, I just, you know, I take that because I like the visual. I can see where they're at uh, by looking at their belt. And I know in, in, in my lesson plans, and that's another thing that we should have as, as infrastructure, I know in my lesson plans where they should be, uh, you know, how many stripes they should have and when they earn those stripes. So I can look at somebody today and go, okay, they have these stripes and they should have this and they're missing, you know, the white stripe. So what's going on? You know, that type of thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, that, you know, that, that way. So, so the first thing obviously is for you and I within our curriculums is, uh, you know, a set curriculum, knowing what it takes to go from beginner to black belt, clearly laid out on paper so that a student, if they looked at it and they said, hey, I want to interview you, show me, which I would never do anyway, but if they show me what I need to do from beginner to black belt, lay it out for me on, on, on the table, 
I could lay out all the sheets and they'd have it there and they could figure out the times and if they were the perfect student, they'd know what it would take from zero to, uh, to hero, beginner to black belt, right? And that, that's yes. the first important thing. Many schools don't have that. And I trained at a school with my American ninjutsu teacher where um, it was just about the training. There was, there was a curriculum, but the curriculum wasn't organized. So I would learn, you know, Nissan Kata, um, and that was like a black belt kata, but I learned it at yellow belt level, you know, so whatever happened to be taught that day, you'd learn it. If you could retain it, that would make you great. If you didn't, you eventually would see it again, um, um, but it wasn't like, okay, show me what you got, here's your blue belt. Show me what you got, here's your purple belt. Sometimes it would just be like, what are you, a blue belt? Okay, great. Um, you've been doing amazing. You've been coming for a year. In fact, I was a purple belt with my teacher for four years. My purple belt looks like a black belt that people wear that's tattered and falling apart, you know, weather. <laughs> right. And he once came up to me and says, when are you going to ask for your black belt? I said, you know what, uh, Shihan, I, I don't even care, to be honest. I had multiple black belts before I met him, and I didn't care. I was there for the training. I wore a purple belt. I knew my ability. I could care less. And then one day he gave it to me. Um, and, you know, and that's a whole other story. I got beaten and, and, you know, thrown in the middle and, you know, gotten whipped with the belt. and. <laughs> I was honored to do that, you know, when most of my students would think that they were going, you know, they were tortured and they would quit. Yeah, exactly, or sue you. Uh, <laughs> so, so for me, uh, you know, infrastructure is, you know, first starting at the core value, like when we first opened up the school and we said, okay, market and get students and teach good classes. Now you have to have the curriculum that goes with the classes something that's, you know, uh, understandable, uh, something that's attainable, um, but something that's not freely given away. Like a lot of these schools, every four weeks or whatever, they just say, here's your belt, no matter whether you could perform the techniques or not. Right. Right. Well, then, yeah. uh, I think the next thing uh, that is important is um, to actually have lesson plans. Right. Um, and I know when I first started, I didn't have lesson plans. I just and, – and that's okay – because I only had, you know, 10, 20, and then up to 50 students. I was even able to, to do it up to about 100 students where I didn't need lesson plans. I just knew what was taught. I had the curriculums, so I knew what I needed to cover in those three months, but I never had a, you know, we're going to work on this, we're going to work on this, we're going to work on this for this class, and you, they need to know, you know, all of this material by the end of this class so that I can build upon it the next class. And And I think you know, you would do yourself a huge favor if you would actually sit down and go, okay, I have this much information to teach in, in this much of time. Now let's chunk it down so that I, I can, you know, reasonably teach it and make sure that everybody knows it. Um, I think that's the next thing. What do you say? Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and here's the thing, though. I, I never, and again, uh, before, I, before I finish this sentence, let me just put a waiver in there. That's not, I'm not disagreeing with you. But I never did a lesson plan, and I'm do doing the quote fingers. However, um, we have lesson plans built into our curriculum. And what I mean by that is, is that each Q level, each stripe level, there's a series of techniques that we do. So every class we do, we set it up and we break it down in three steps. There's, you know, an hour class would be, you know, 10 minutes of warm-up, 10 minutes of warm-down, and then like 30 minutes of curriculum, and then whatever the other 10 minutes of fun or 15 minutes of fun we're going to leave after to do whatever we need to do. So then we go to our Q-level sheets, which everyone gets their own written sheet, and we will say, you know, Dwayne, you go over there and you work on your Q-level. 
and then that, you know, we might say do, you know, block, step in, shoot those strike, basic into an Osoto Getty throw or Ipon Seonage throw, um, and blah, blah, blah. Or work on your kata or work on your weapon. So our lesson plan is set up within that classroom. And then we do have, and, I, and on our calendar, we have focus for the month. So we have, uh, you know, week one is sparring and grappling. Week two is sigh and bow. Week three is padded sword and sword. Week four might be tournament practice if a tournament's coming up. So we have our, our plan set up. So it's very similar. I mean, uh, so that's why I said I agree with you. Lesson plans, knowing what you're going to do, and the students knowing that is super important as well. Absolutely, and I believe that, you know, it, it, uh, it helps you as the instructor, um, but then it also just it, to get everybody into that same habit and routine, I, think it believe, I believe that it helps to, um, you know, give some structure and some, I don't know, even some accountability to the right. students. You know, and right. I think that that allows them to actually uh, excel. Right. Right. So, yeah. I, and, you know, the nice thing about having those lesson, lesson plans is that if you're sick, you could have one of your black belts step in and just read what's on the lesson plan and teach it that day. Not to mention that they went through it before. I mean, they have gone through it. They know how it works because they, um, you know, physically were a student at that point at that, that time. And if the structure is still the same, they should be able to figure it out. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. So, so um, you know, we could go into this a lot deeper if we wanted to. I mean, so first is a, a set curriculum, uh, you know, a, an organized time frame, goals for people to see what it's going to take, um, ability, all of that. Then the next would be the instructor's lesson plan so that the students – can clearly um, know what's coming up and the instructors know what to teach. And, you know, however you do it, whether it's called a lesson plan or it's laid out on a calendar, they're all lesson plans, right? So I agree with you. So that's the second most important thing. And if, if schools are flying by the seat of their pants, which they quite often do, um, that's where you end up running into stale classes or stagnated growth within the studio or boredom and, and lack of retention and so on. So I think that that's... Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, too, just as an aside note and tip, is having a, uh, a structured lesson plan also is potentially a selling point for you um, if done correctly. So what I mean by that is I've had um, not many, but I've had some people that, uh, you know, have obviously checked out our school and they're interested in contacting other schools or they have contacted other schools. And, you know, I don't uh, – I, I actually, when I hear that and they say that, I congratulate them because they want to be an informed parent. And so one of the things that I do is I give them my manual on, uh, you know, how to choose the right martial arts school for their child. Or if it's an adult, I have one for an adult too. And one of the questions that's in there is for them to ask the other school owners um, if they have a structured lesson plan. And then I tell them, now understand that a structured class lesson plan is not a curriculum because I believe every school owner will tell you that they, yeah, of course I have a lesson plan, but they really mean it's a curriculum, meaning that they know that their students are going to learn uh, these two kicks and these four hand techniques and this form and this, you know, these two self-defense strategies in the two or three month time span, but that's called a curriculum. That's not a lesson plan. And then I, what I do is I pull out my lesson plan and I say, you know, you want to make sure that you're going to get your child involved 
with a school that is just like your teacher at, you know, your child's teacher at school who uh, every single day knows exactly what they're going to teach and has an actual lesson plan that they look at in order to make your child successful. In fact, here's mine. And I say, you know, today your child is learning this. Tomorrow they're going to learn this. Next week they're going to learn this. So as you go and check out into these other schools, make sure that they have a structured lesson plan. Um, because I, I know that I'm probably the only school in town, or maybe there's, a, maybe there's one or two, whatever, but I know that I have that, and not to mention that I've educated them, um, that that's something that they need to look for. So right. I, I just wanted to throw that in as a side note because it can be a great selling point for you um, as a school owner. No, I love it. And, and, you know, you're right. Like, you wouldn't join a college and say, what am I going to learn? And they say, well, what the name of the topic is, you know, fashion design. And, and they go, well, uh, we don't know yet. We'll just throw it at you and we'll come up with it that day. Um, you know, they know exactly what you need to learn and what you need to test, what you need to pass, you know, what you need to do to complete the course. So at the end of the day, like I said before, um, a guy like Tony Robbins could teach a class on self-improvement or um, you know, uh, ed, you know, self-esteem or business or whatever, um, and you would leave with the materials and the ability, hopefully, to be able to do what you need to do. So I, I think that's great. So yeah, so so um, infrastructure is, is uh, definitely you know uh, the lesson plans, the the classroom etiquette, um, rules and regulations of the school as well. I mean, so many times, uh, you know, I, I think years ago, Dwayne, when you had um, a, a different partner and you interviewed me, we talked about rules, you know, and it's in my book, Business 101, and I tell my clients all the time is you need to have rules for your company. Quite often, people don't have rules, and meaning like, what's the rule if you have more than one member? You know, do you give a discount for the second? Is the next one... Uh, X amount of dollars, is it free? You know, what is your price rules? What are your cancellation rules? What are your refund rules? What are your rules for, um, you know, whatever you're doing as far as, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, your belt, belt promotion, uh, if they miss the test date? Uh, you know, there's so many things that we have to think about as far as rules and regulations, but also what about business rules? What about if a person just decides not to pay their agreement? Do you have a rule that says, uh, and many school owners do, oh, I don't want to rock the boat and get a bad name in my community so I won't sue them. So why do you have a contract if you're not following up on it and sending people to collections or taking them to small claims court? What is the sense of doing that if for some reason, um, you know, you're not following up with it? So what's your rule? Rule number one is, okay, when they get to a point and I threaten them enough, I just throw it in the garbage and, and write it off as a loss. Or is it rule number one where they don't pay me, X amount of letters go out, like I have a thing called collections with integrity, and say, okay, well, here you go, and, um, you know, this is the rule, let's, uh, you know, let's take them to small claims court after that. You know, so what are the company rules? What are your employees' rules, your staff rules, all of that? You have to develop a rule book. Yeah, I totally agree. And you never, we never, ever thought 
that we had to do that when we first started our martial arts schools. <laughs> However, though, we had rules, like we had rules within the school, right? Like we, you can't curse on the floor. You can't walk with your shoes on the floor. You can't, you know, leave in the middle of class without asking permission. I mean, not every one of these. These are my rules. You can't, you know, you got to wait to bow onto the floor. Your instructor's got to bow you in, bow you out. Um, you know, you can't just practice what you want, when you want. It's not an open class. You must call your instructor your sensei or Renshi or Kiyoshi or Shihan, you don't call them by their first name, you never put your hands on your teacher. I mean, our rules are infinite. They go forever. Um, but uh, it's something that learn and have to do, which is so important because without structure, infrastructure or structure in a classroom, people don't feel like they're actually getting out what they want. It becomes one of those schools where it's just kind of like a a sport martial art where some of the sport martial arts like taekwondo though they're they're laden with respect and protocol and they're amazing so that you know becomes more of like a kind of like a hangout like a boxing gym where people just go down and you just get in the ring and you jump rope and no one's there to teach you there's no structure you know that kind of thing right yeah and, and uh i'll just throw this in there real quick is that my beginners program is a nine-month program and i have uh, created it in such a way that that whole nine months is, for lack of a better term, my uh, indoctrination um, time. I mean, I inundate them with how the school is run and how they act and, you know, all that stuff is even into the curriculum. There's three belt levels in that nine months, and they have to learn those things as they progress through. And, you know, so it's uh, very intricate when it comes to uh, – to that and I you know I decided that I wanted that to be right into the you know as part of my infrastructure right yeah and so, then, and know, I think like, we do that with most school owners do that to a certain degree anyways right exactly and you know I, I think so but you know you would be quite surprised at how many school owners <laughs> that don't do that and you know that they don't have rules they don't they, and, and again, in their defense, most school owners got involved in the martial arts to teach martial arts. And when I mean, what I mean by that is there was really no business plan put in place. They didn't say, I'm going to open up a martial art business. Okay, great. What are you going to do? What's your business plan? Well, I'm going to save this amount of money for marketing. I'm going to set up all these business systems. I'm going to build a website and social media marketing campaigns. I'm going to you know, do this, this, and this. No, they just said, hey, I want to teach. And then they went out and they found a building with a for rent sign on it. Um, they got up the money for the security. They built it out and they crossed their fingers and hoped for the best. And that's why many schools go out of business within the first two to three years. It's like that show Bar Rescue. I don't understand how people could be in business and John Taffer comes in and he says, uh, you know, they've been losing $10,000. I watched a show last night out of Michigan. Ten grand a month they lose. They don't make. They lose 10000 a month. He's borrowed every IRA, every loan, every credit card just to keep the business open. He was a million dollars in debt, this guy. And he was running That's his crazy. Running his business like it, he had no clue. You know, his bartenders were terrible. They were losing money, wasting money. Nothing worked. He was mean to the clients. He was nasty to the, you know, to his staff. Um, and he had, he just, you know, got in the business and just had no clue. Sometimes, mar I, I'm not insulting martial artists, but martial artists, a good, a good amount of them have no clue how to actually run a successful school. And hence, that's where the word McDojo came up. You know, it was those martial artists that felt like, hey, a guy who's successful is a sellout. A guy who's making money must have sold his soul to the devil because there's no way I'm doing it, so how could he do it unless he's cheating the system and giving belts easy and all that other stuff, when in reality it's no. You can have a 
highly successful, highly profitable martial arts school that is incredible at producing and manufacturing or, you know, producing students that are of a high level and a high quality. Yeah, or uh, raising them up. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than producing. Yeah, no, I, I, I just I thought that was funny. Um, no, no, I, hey, I'd like yeah. to. I, I know that, um, uh, you know, we're running out of time on this call, but uh, and we only really covered, you know, the, the, the first or the tip of the iceberg with regards to infrastructure. What would you think about continuing, continuing this on the next call? I would like to, and, and I also encourage any of you who are listening that haven't already downloaded the manifesto is uh, download our free uh, martial art manifesto and then um, download the 20 mistake video and then the three other videos that we have all free just to help school owners. And the reason why I say download it is because um, once you see this page 12 that everyone raves about, is nothing more than a list of all the things that you guys do on paper. You'll be shocked at how much you're doing and also how much you're not doing to be able to have a full, complete business plan that works. And that's, that's really the key. You know, martial arts is not, you know, and I don't want to say it's not rocket science because I do have a student who's actually a rocket here. He's building a rocket that um, is now going to be actually flying out of NASA. They have a test coming up, and the, and the rocket has a sustainable fuel source. Um, so I, I'm bringing this up because it does make sense. So um, And uh, the, you know like how rockets have stages? It's similar to a martial arts school. Stage one, like lifts it up into orbit, stage, and then it falls off, and stage two boosts it up a little further into the atmosphere. Well, he has developed a rocket that is just like a car engine. It f just drives, and it doesn't fall apart, and all you do is refuel it, and it keeps going. So, um, so anyway, he's actually doing it. He's making a rocket. So we're not... Martial arts schools isn't rocket science. However, it is a science. There is a science to running a school, a successful school, and there's a science to getting your students to stay so that you could see more people wearing that coveted. You know, there is a science to making a profit and staying open. I, I celebrated. I made a mistake. I thought it was my 25-year anniversary, but it really was my 24-year anniversary this past November 9th, which still is quite a success, right? Being open for Absolutely. years, I mean, I've seen thousands, not hundreds, but thousands of schools worldwide open and close. Yet, I've been teaching where I have people now that are lawyers, doctors, police officers, airplane pilots, helicopter pilots, people that are surgeons. I mean, and they've grown up in my school. I've seen them as three-year-olds who are now 30-year-olds with their own kids, you know, 40-year-olds with their own kids. It's crazy. Um, so, how do we learn how to run a school that can the test of time that could be given to your students when you leave the planet or that you could will it to your family um, and have the legacy continue. That's part of what we do. So you, you're saying let's you do more of this um, topic. I would love to. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so I just want to remind everybody with regards to the manifesto, you can find that at uh, schoolownertalk.com. Also there you can uh, share this call. Uh, with, uh, you know, your friends on Facebook. And um, also, if you have an uh, iPhone and you want to subscribe, you can do that there. And we have an iTunes uh, podcast. And then if you have an Android device, there, uh, Android device, there is information on how to subscribe via Android as well. So, um, Allie, we'll continue part two of the infrastructure talk. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All right, everybody, I'll talk to you real soon. Talk to you uh, next time. All right, thanks.